Hello and welcome to the Ship Shape Podcast, a series of podcasts where we meet amazing people and talk about their experiences, personal, technical, and all related to the maritime world. Come and dive in, dive in. Okay, you're tuning in to part two of the interview with Roger Moore with Nautical Ventures. So, Roger, at this point, we've fast-forwarded a little bit past more of these sailing adventures that you've had. You get back to Florida, right? Correct. And what happens at this point? Okay, well, we crossed the Atlantic and uh, ended up going to Barbados and then Venezuela spent a fair amount of time in Venezuela. I'll just highlight how we got to Florida. I did a little consulting job while in Venezuela and building a golf course in China. That's another whole story, but wanted to get back to the U.S. And I had a, a real desire to watch a space shuttle launch. So our first destination was really to get to the space coast up to Cape Canaveral. And we spent some time in Cape Canaveral, uh, quite a bit of time there, and then came down to Florida. And by then, it was 13 years that we'd been on the boat, and we needed a paint job. I'd been babysitting the teak decks. The engines, the generators needed to be rebuilt a second time. I did them once in Tel Aviv over the winter in the engine room, I might add. That was fun. And I decided, what I think I'll do is sell the boat, and let's get a trawler, and let's continue going on in a trawler. So I met a guy, the name Jeff Garcia, and Jeff had sold the Choi Lee for me. And I bought another boat with him, which was a 72-foot cockpit motor yacht, which was a phenomenal liveaboard. But it was mainly a fix-up and sell because I wanted the trawler. I was looking at then a 78 Choi Lee because I loved the Choi Lee. We ended up getting that. And working with Jeff, I saw and met a number of brokers. And I felt that with my financial experience sea experience, love for boats, that this might be an interesting opportunity to maybe get in the boat business. So I joined Jeff to be a salesman in a small brokerage company, and we started to grow that company, and then I took over the finance. Then we, we continued to grow the company over the period of, it's now been 20 years since we've been here, the whole time living aboard an 83-foot, 84-foot Northern Marine expedition-style boat on the river had planned to do more cruising, but the business started to become overwhelming in its demands and my love for it. I mean, it's my passion. So as the business continued to grow, we didn't have time to cruise. We took it to the Bahamas a couple of times, but it mainly became our live aboard condo. And I love the boat to death. I still do. Nautical Ventures, we started out in brokerage, then new boat sales, we bought an adjacent company that was selling uh, Hobie kayaks and water sports toys, thinking that water sports and boats are synergistic and proved to be true. And we built a business model of we sell everything from literally stand up paddle boards, flight boards, center console boats, yachts. And actually, we've got one guy now that sells cruise ships, thousand foot cruise ships, not a lot of them but he runs that department separately. And we've just now branched out into sailing. So we've started a sailing division and an electric boat division. So we're now dealers for Exshore, Ingenity, and some other, I think the electric market is going to mature 
in the marine industry. I think we're kind of on the leading edge. We've come up with a little saying, our corporate color, if you can see my shirt is orange. Orange is the new green, it's our tagline, and getting a good start in that business. Well, it seems like Nautical Ventures is very diversified with how many different things you guys can bring to the market. Can you talk a little bit about kind of what are the key things that really separate you guys from the other brokerages and other marine companies that are out there? Well, I think the basic thing is the diversity of what we offer and the core values of our company are really important to us. So no pressure sales, honesty, integrity, those are welcome core values, especially in Florida. I think we've prospered because we treat people right. We don't always have to be the winner. I think it should be a win-win or in making a business deal, if we're both equally disappointed, then it's a good deal. <laughs> so, and the expansion has been, we've taken over a couple of failing dealerships and rebranded them Nautical Ventures and brought the same business model of offering everything from kayaks, we're very big in the tender business. We're the high field tender dealers, number one in the world. And high field is a great brand of, you know, ribs. So the business has grown organically and by acquisition. Uh, last year, our sales were about 115 million. And we were in the midst of negotiations for an acquisition by a major company. And uh, at the last minute, we decided we would like to build our company ourselves because my passion is doing what I'm doing. And mm. so rather than sell, we're going to bring our employees into the ownership of the company. And we've got some really passionate people that are excited about our rate of growth and the way we do business and the boat lines that we have. So it's dodging the consolidation of Marine, huh? That's it. Yep. So, you know, I kind of want to ask you because, you know, what I find in the marine world is that it's really difficult for someone that knows nothing about it to come in and actually make any real progress in it. So I'm wondering how did this 13 year journey, these 42,000 miles impact how exactly you ran the business and marine and whatnot? Well, that's a great question because originally we started the business. I worked in the wheelhouse of the home, my boat. And I'd bring people and I'd sit them in a, the chair, spin the chair around. So it was looking at the big screen TV behind the pilot berth. And I'd be showing them pictures of boats that we have listings or boats they may be interested in. And they would wonder, what am I doing on this boat? Is it this my office or who maintains it? They would ask me the questions and the relationships that I developed with buyers based on the history. They started asking questions and if I maintain it, run the boat and wow, I must be, I must know something about this. So I didn't have to brag. I just shared my lifestyle with them. And I made some wonderful friends and the brokerage business really blossomed by doing business that way. And, you know, word traveled quickly. And that's what I think caused the business to grow as it has. And from your past background of, you know, being a businessman, how did you bring that into Nautical Ventures? Well, I think as we experience life, we draw on all of those experiences that we've had. And this was an ideal blending of the business experience and negotiation. I become a very, very good broker because I'm really representing the interests of my client. So I think all of that financial experience and business experience really came to pass. And then, of course, when I walk on a boat, I see things that other people don't because I know the lifestyle. I understand it. I can speak to the surveyors with some authority. 
And I think bringing that knowledge level and my experience was fun for me. It's fun to share it. And I think it's proven to be one of the key things. My business partner owned a shipyard in the south of France. So he's been around boats all his life, several transatlantic passages on small boats. You know, we're both passionate. It's not just a business to us. This is a lifestyle. And thank God my wife allowed me to indulge in it because I usually say I work half days from six to six, seven days a week. So it's not work. It's uh, people think I'm nuts. I'm having a ball. So it's not, I don't feel like I'm coming to work. I'm disappointed when the day is ending. Mm. So how did COVID-19 affect Nautical Ventures? Well, I jokingly say that there's a round hole in my chair because I puckered so tight when COVID hit. And fortunately, or coincidentally, we do the service work for Broward Fire and Broward Sheriff on their boats. So we qualified as an essential business and we were allowed to remain open during that time period. We, of course, implemented all the COVID protocols and, you know, bought machines to purify the surfaces and all that sort of thing. And thinking we were going to go out of business because of COVID, within a few months, we couldn't do enough business. Everybody wanted to buy a boat. We were selling boats as family PPE, personal protection equipment. <laughs> so if you buy a boat, you can go out there with your family and have fun. So our sales boomed, as did everyone's during that time period. And you have a pretty unique business because as we've already said that you're pretty diversified. So have you seen any demographic change in the people that are you know, buying marine related products? Is it a younger crowd coming in? What is it? Well, we touch just about all of it. I can tell you that most recently, late this year, late last year and early this year, we've seen a significant drop-off in what I would call entry-level boaters because we sell every size boat. And I find that the interest rates have adversely affected You know, the new boater. It's more expensive to buy a boat. The inflation has adversely affected them, and they don't have as much money to spend. And of course, with COVID gone, they still want to go on vacations. They go to restaurants. So you know, the dynamics of the buyer have really changed post-COVID. So we now say that we're in the pre-COVID years and the salesmen are having to learn how to actually sell instead of just take orders. And it's quite a transition. We are doing well and the bigger boats are still selling quite well. And what are your views on the, the present state of the marine industry? I mean, what do you think the biggest challenges our industry faces over the next few years here? Well, I think I think we've got a year or so ahead of us that is going to be challenging due to the instability of the economic environment with bank failures and wars and there's a lot of negative stuff happening but i think we're somewhat insular because florida people are still moving to florida because of the individual tax benefits the weather is fantastic you know year-round boating so there there is a significant migration to florida and those people are usually on the higher end of the scale as far as earnings and net worth and they're buying waterfront homes so i think we're going to do just fine in florida and i think there are going to be issues in other areas because the more entry-level boats are not doing well but this could also be an interesting opportunity for us to expand our brands into some of the other areas of the country that's our desire is to increase our geographic coverage you guys are also picking up some electric boats like you mentioned x shore 
on the topic of electric boats, there's so many conflicting views on things. Some people talk about range, some people talk about the infrastructure, but can you discuss a little bit about your view on the electrification of boating and kind of where it's headed and that? I'd, I'd be happy to. It's been quite a learning curve because we've been into this about four or five months. And I think one of the main obstacles that we have to overcome is called rangeitis. That's what we call it. Everybody thinks they need more range. I have good friends here that have several Freedom Boat Club franchises and they tell me what the average boater is using. They're going maybe eight or nine miles in a day. Or just drinking on the dock, right? Drinking on the dock or going to the sandbar or a restaurant. So what people perceive is their need for range. Obviously, the electric sector is going to be oriented towards smaller boats just because of the weight and the battery capacity and all the rest of it. So we're selling 21 to 26 foot electrified boats. The battery technology is almost there. If we take Exshore, for example, BoatTest.com just did a fantastic review on the Exshore, and they are passionate about sharing the information about electrifying boats because everyone's got a high level of interest, and the range is significant. You can go out for a whole day on an Exshore, not at full speed, but who runs at full speed anyway, on plane, 20 knots, get several hours out of the boat, and come home, plug it in, and the next day you're ready to go again. So it does work. It does make sense. But it, you can't go to, to Bimini. But who's going to go to Bimini on a 26-foot boat? Not too many people. So once they realize how they're going to use it, that's always our question. How are you going to use the boat? Then I think we can explain that the range is acceptable and people will become used to it. It's different than a car where if you're going to, a lot of people go long distances in cars and the infrastructure is mandatory. Infrastructure is being installed in key locations throughout Florida and other countries and areas for rapid charging. But I don't think that's the answer because I don't think people are going to be going long distances on electric boats. I think there's another company that we deal with, CorrectCraft. They have a brand called Nautique and they have a lot of telemetrics that are all reported from all the boats they have, not electric at this point, they're just starting an electric, but they're giving us the same information, eight or nine miles, is all those people are doing. So like 93% of the nautique boats would qualify for electric, would meet all of their needs. You can go out and go wakeboarding and do all those things and there is sufficient range. So it's an educational process that we're embarking upon in order to explain this to people and to make them feel comfortable. And we don't expect to uh, get rich quick selling electric boats, but we wanna be on the forefront. There's a lot to learn as a company, as a dealership, and how do you service these boats? I think the service is going to be much less, but you still need technicians that understand the battery management system and other elements to repair them. I'm optimistic about it. I'm a huge proponent of the service side of the industry. And, you know, personally, I think that's one of the biggest failings that the industry faces right now. And just the, the growth of how many boats are coming into the market, yet boats are so eternal that they last forever that the gap of the amount of service providers to boats is ever expanding. Can you talk a little bit about the service side of the industry and what you've seen? Service side of the industry is extremely difficult. And the, the problem is finding people who are interested in doing it and then retention. We have 45 people in our service department at the marina here in Fort Lauderdale. 
And it's really difficult to bring new people to find them. We're starting to deal with the schools, Marine Max, and, and I think another major company are actually starting their own schools to try and train people. They're making good money. I mean, we're talking $20 to $40 an hour for mechanics and more if they've got all of the certifications. We pay for the certifications for them. So I think it's an opportunity if people really enjoy boats, like technical work, mechanical work. But it is truly a challenge, not just for us, but for everybody in the industry. Can you talk about some things about like, how do you keep retention? Well, we just put in a 401k program. And now since we, we did not decide to merge with this bigger company, we are taking our stock and we're going to start issuing options to our employees that will have to vest over three to five years. So if you're a mechanic with us, you're going to get stock options. If we continue to grow the company, our intention is to do a private offering and then into an IPO when the market turns around so that we can continue our expansion. Then I hope that I can make the people around us wealthy in having stock options and nautical ventures. Hmm. Do you plan on expanding to other states or just you're going to dominate Florida? No, we're looking at Annapolis right now. We're very close to doing something in Annapolis and we're also looking at Texas. Don't forget New England. <laughs> well, a lot of the brands that we currently sell have dealers up there. So we have to find territories because we have some unique brands. We are pretty much a European boutique, even though we sell U.S. brands. I don't know if you've heard of Axopar, D'Antonio, Windy. We are the number one dealers in all those brands in the world. So we, we specialize in European brands because it gives us exclusivity, control, and it's fun. I mean, it's leading edge stuff. I guess what's interesting is that not only do you guys sell power boats, but you sell sailboats. And it really seems that in the industry, there's it's either one or the other. And looking at the data of boat ownership, year after year, sailing has kind of been on the decline. So can you talk a little bit about what you've seen in terms of the sailing, you know, what hurdles to overcome and all that other type of stuff? Oh, boy. I sure can, <laughs> because my passion is sailing, as you know, and I felt that the sailing market has been underserved. Why is it declining? This is a great place to sail, to go to the Bahamas, to go to the Caribbean. And when people think that there is no market, it becomes a fact. So I feel that if we invest in the marketing in the southeast of Florida, I think there are people out there that may become passionate or are already passionate about it. So I think there's an opportunity. No one wants to get into the sailboat business in Florida. I'm the only one. Everybody thinks I'm crazy, which is probably true. But I really see it as an opportunity to build it. Also thinking about the IPO. If we get a slow start, it's okay. If we invest in sale, and you know, there are a lot of factors. People are becoming more green, green as in environmentally green, and sailboats are perfect for that. Secondly, there's this new right whale. Speed restriction. Oh my God, if that happens, that's going to be really tough for everybody. But it would also be great for the sailboat business because there you go, you can go sailing. Uh, and I find that people are quite often intimidated by sailboats. They think it's complicated and they can't do it, which is not the case. When you take somebody out on a sailboat, even our own team here, uh, let me digress a sec. When we decided to start this, we have about 32 people in our sales team in the various offices. And I came up with the saying, 
Not one of them knows the difference between a bed sheet and a jib sheet. If you're a sailor, you know what a jib sheet is. It's the line that controls the sails. But everybody thinks a jib sheet is the sail. They don't know. So how can you sell a sailboat to a sailboater when you don't even know the terminology? So we've kind of coined that that's crazy phrase, bed sheet to jib sheet. And we are now soliciting people that are really sailboat experienced salespeople to join our company. And we've been able, because of our marketing successes in other areas, we've been able to get Beneteau, T-Wall, which is an inflatable sailboat. We've always been big Hobie sailboat people, first sailboats, excess catamarans, and now Nodder Swan, which is the Rolls Royce of sailboats. We now represent all those brands with the clear understanding that we don't have the sales organization yet. So my job is to bring in qualified people and have another section or another segment of our business that sail and those people will concentrate on sailboats. To me, I think I think it will work. And investing our marketing money and trying to prove that and we've got ads running now for sailing salespeople. Hopefully we can find some good people. Well, I'm right here, right? <laughs> well, one of you know, one of the things that I also want to highlight is that you guys are doing quite well. And I have started to see kind of like a direct correlation between the companies that do well in their use of marketing and making sure that they have a web presence and they are like reaching out and trying to get customers. Um, can you talk a little bit about how you really came up with what a marketing strategy is and invest money in it and what are the benefits of marketing in Marine? Well, we're really big in boat shows because we find that there are so many people that are thinking about boating that go to boat shows that we get the start of the funnel of people that are interested in it. Then people that are already interested in it, we have a very large web presence, a lot of investment in SEO. So if, if you Google any of the brands that we carry, in most cases, Nautical Ventures shows up ahead of the brand. So we are really focused on driving people to our website. We're now in the process of redoing our website and we're adding two new divisional portions, which is the sail and electric and a yacht division. So by having, I think, a more sophisticated website that's easy to navigate, I think we can bring confidence in the people that are looking at it and simplicity in trying to get their answers. We have people now that come in looking for an Axopar and they've watched every video, every boattest.com, everything about it. They sometimes know more than they're experts do. in it. <laughs> they are. And as long as we treat them fairly and honestly, we're doing the business. It's but having those brands is pretty valuable for nautical ventures. So, you know, as we kind of draw to a close, I want to definitely talk about the youth here. And as you mentioned, it's difficult for retention and to bring people in. But what other insights do you have on the youth? I mean, personally, I say that there's not a lot of awareness of the opportunities in Marine to begin with. But what's your take on it? I think it's a problem. I think the kids are spending too much time on electronic devices and they're not out doing things and seeing the world. So we're talking about having uh, the Nautical Ventures Aqua Academy, which is going to be teaching sailing, teaching flight boarding. Flight boarding is a very big segment of our business. We've sold a whole lot of them and it's addictive. These electric foiling boards, they are really fun. And, you know, kayak fishing, we're one of the main sponsors of EKFT, Extreme Kayak Fishing Tournaments. Uh, maybe a hundred people go out. The last tournament, they caught 22 sailfish from kayaks. 
In fact, I will share with you a few key videos when we complete this interview. I think you look at those and your mouth will fall open when you see people getting two hits on sailfish on a 14-foot kayak and landing them. It's amazing. So to have fun and try and expand, you know, you don't have to have a million dollars a sport fish boat to go out and catch billfish. You can do it on a kayak. Now, the kayaks are getting sophisticated because they're equipping them with live wells and depth sounders. And it's not unusual for us to sell a $10,000 equipped kayak to somebody that's serious. But you can get in it for a couple of thousand and get out there and do some fun fishing and really experience what it used to take a whole lot of money to do. Now, the final question here is, in terms of someone entering the marine industry, what advice and pro tips would you give? Come join Nautical Ventures. <laughs> no, uh, what advice would I give? I don't know. If you're passionate about something like uh, the mechanical side of it, like, you know, get the certification. You can find a job quickly. Reach out to me. I mean, we are looking for people all the time. As far as sales, you know, one of our most successful salespeople here had no boating experience. He's now the sales manager of our Fort Lauderdale office. He was a waiter. And he developed a passion for boating. Took him a year to get his feet on the ground while he was trying to work two jobs. And now he's making really good money, loving it, and super passionate about it. So I think whatever you do, if it's, if it's work and it's a job, that's probably not what you should be doing. You want to do something that you're passionate about that fulfills, fulfills you. Not just enough money in the checkbook to go pay the car and the rent and go to restaurants. So I feel sorry for the people that have to work and do something that they don't enjoy just to survive. That is true. You hear, um, I feel like it gets overused. People say, find your passion. And it's hard to define what exactly that is. And you've mentioned at one point in the interview, it's getting up at 6 a.m. and working to like midnight and not even thinking that you worked. Well, that, that's a bit of an exaggeration. I said six to six. That's my 12 hours. I can't. Well, mine is six to midnight. <laughs> really? Wow. Wow. I can't do that. I need to get my beauty sleep. It's not working, but I'm trying. Awesome, Roger. Well, it was great talking to you and hearing all these stories from sailing to starting a, a major boating business. It was, uh, it was a wealth of conversation. That's cool. I'm, I'm, again, I'm so happy to share it. It's fun for me to relive some of those memories. And boy, we left out a few years of fun stuff in there. So maybe uh, in a future date, we can talk about some of the others. Sounds like a plan. All right. Thank you so much. Check back every Tuesday for our latest episode. And be sure to like, share, and subscribe to ShipShape.pro. Pro, 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 pro.